Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. I'm Mark Daly, I'm your host, and it is time to get ready to go racing again. We have the British Grand Prix coming up uh, this weekend, and as of the time of recording, we are only now about four and a half hours away from FP1 at Silverstone. So after a week off, definitely in the mood to get back to some uh, Formula One racing. And of course, there has been plenty of things going on in the Formula One world this week. And the biggest story of the week thus far is uh, Racing Point driver Sergio Perez is now in self-isolation after uh, testing positive for COVID-19. So obviously that is a a bit of a shock. Well, more than a bit of a shock, uh, quite shocking that it uh, it happened at all but uh, apparently his first test uh, was inconclusive he went for a second test and it uh, it came back so anyways uh, the good news is that uh, Perez is uh, is fine he doesn't have uh, any symptoms uh, but uh, the the way that uh, the, the the rules are the health protocols in the United Kingdom at the moment is anybody testing positive for, for COVID-19 has to go into self isolation for 10 days so that means he's going to miss the British Grand Prix this weekend and the 7 anniversary Grand Prix next weekend. Uh, really disappointing, obviously. Uh, Racing Point have a very competitive car this year, and uh, Perez uh, he's acquitted himself uh, quite well in several situations uh, so far this year. But health and safety uh, comes first, and uh, hopefully this uh, you know nothing uh, goes wrong for Sergio, and that uh, that he's back uh, before uh, too long. And obviously, we hope that uh, he stays healthy and he doesn't uh, develop any symptoms uh, of COVID. But uh, certainly. A very big surprise when I saw that uh, first thing this morning when I started to scroll through the news on my phone after waking up. So there they are going to need a driver obviously uh racing point and there was an expectation that uh, perhaps this could happen at some point uh, during the season once uh formula 1 had uh, worked out all the uh, you know this, this this covid bubble and everything that uh, they were going to work uh, work within uh once uh, you know the season got up and running which has almost been a month ago now i mean what was it july 5th we had the first grand prix at uh, at spielberg and we're already off to, to round number 4 so uh, time does uh, certainly fly but uh, the, the the speculation was that uh, a driver could uh, and probably would test positive for COVID at some point uh, during the year, and reserve drivers would probably come into uh, you know come into play at some point. Um, but it's looking as though Nico Hulkenberg, the former Racing Point um, slash Force India driver, I guess uh, obviously would have been uh, Force India when um, uh, Nico was still there, is uh, going to uh, take over and uh, take Sergio's uh, seat uh, for the next uh, couple of races after uh, you know taking. Uh, you know, after Perez's obvious um, uh, positive uh, test, so his uh, most recent uh, drive was at the uh, the 2019 season finale in uh, Abu Dhabi uh, when he was uh, driving uh, for Renault. Uh, he has to go uh, and clear a COVID-19 test to make sure he is not carrying the virus, and then he also has to finalize uh, some sort of contract or agreement uh, with Racing Point 
to fill in uh, for Perez forever um, uh, long he's uh, needed. So probably for the next uh, two races at least. Um, so they do not have a dedicated uh, driver that is uh, nominated or appointed to um, uh, to fill in at, uh, at races. Um, so they, they share Mercedes reserve drivers, uh, Esteban Gutierrez and Stoffel Van Dorn, both of whom have um, uh, raced in, in Formula 1. Um, Van Dorn is not on site at Silverstone uh, because he's in uh, Berlin uh, uh, preparing for the Formula E finale. And um, Gutierrez actually has not raced in a Grand Prix since the end of uh, 2016. So it's been um, a, a little bit um, <laughs> of time. I mean, some, Van Dorn, obviously, he didn't um, do anything too exciting in uh, in Formula One when he's driving for McLaren. But he was there, of course, uh, when they were really at their, their lowest point uh, when they were struggling uh, with McLaren. Although I still maintain that uh, he had a very, very good debut when he filled in for Fernando Alonso at the uh, Bahrain Grand Prix a couple of years ago after uh, Fernando had that horrible crash at um, uh, on the first lap at the uh, the Australian Grand Prix. Anyways, uh, Stoff came in, scored uh, a single point um, in, in P10 in his debut, and um, well, obviously he's done quite well in Formula e as well. So uh, obviously he's out of the picture, but it looks like Hulk is going to be the guy that uh, comes back and fills in for his own uh, old, old team for a couple of races. And honestly, I mean, he's a, he was the longest uh, running driver in Formula One that who was uh, never to score a podium before he left uh, Formula One at the uh, the end of last year. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's got a Le Mans victory under his belt. And, um, I, you know, I think there was a lot more expectations that had this guy had a, a decent car that he could uh, challenge uh, for, for podiums and and be a, you know, score points more regularly than than he did. Um, and, and that's why I'm a little bit surprised that... Uh, Especially that uh, that Haas uh, did not maybe snap him up at the uh, the, the end of last year. Then you know, it was sticking with uh, Kevin Magnussen and, and Roman Grosjean uh, after last year. I mean, Grosjean to me still seems like a bit of a square peg in a round hole in, in Formula One. And I thought maybe he might be a, a guy that uh, that got a look at that team, but uh, obviously not. But at least uh, he's going to get a, a couple of races filling in for for Perez. So we'll be uh, looking to see what uh, Nico Hulkenberg can do. As long as he manages to clear some of these uh, hurdles that um, that stand in his way, and uh, he's going to have to get up to speed, uh, you know, no pun intended, uh, very very quickly. Uh, and um, you know, what a team to, uh, to to fortunately land in. And if he manages um, to get into the points, or heaven forbid, score a podium this week at uh, at the British Grand Prix or next weekend, that would be absolutely uh, amazing. And he's got the car to do it. I mean, uh, both uh, Lance Stroll and Sergio Perez have been very competitive in the first three races of the year and um and, and at least on Hulkenberg's uh, uh, behalf I mean sure he he's not in Formula One right now but I mean it really isn't all that long ago and sure he didn't have the the, the benefit of uh, preseason testing or uh, the, the the benefit of uh, racing the first couple of races but most of these well all these guys uh, basically sat all those months uh, at home as uh, as basically the entire world was locked down uh, during the spring and uh, there was nothing really going. I mean, there was uh, some limited testing in older spec cars or some of these uh, media days that, um, that that cars were allowed to run their current 2020 cars, uh, although with a, you know, a different compound uh, tire than the, the usual racing compounds that they get. 
So I don't really think that, uh, at least from my standpoint, that uh, Nico Hulkenberg is at a huge disadvantage to the, the the other 19 guys in the field right now. Obviously, he's uh, might be lacking a little bit of a conditioning since uh, he hasn't been racing the the, the last month. But uh, when the when the drivers came back after uh, the the lockdown or the the, the work uh, halt uh, was lifted uh, a couple of months ago, I mean they all had to to get back into it and condition and everything like that. So it's going to be a steep learning curve, but. Uh, he is an F1 veteran and a, and, a, and a pretty decent racing driver, so um, definitely one to keep your eye on this weekend uh, at the, the the British Grand Prix. So, uh, Michael Massey, the, uh, the the race director at Formula One, uh, says cautioned that they should not become complacent uh, due to the ongoing threat from COVID nineteen. Uh, just uh, in the run up to the double header at uh, Silverstone over the next uh, couple of uh, weekends here. Anyways, uh, Massey had to say uh, earlier this week, "quote I think as a sport and as an industry." we should be very proud of what we have achieved over the, these first three events. Considering the time that uh, obviously we've had collectively, particularly between the FIA and together with F1 in developing the return to racing plan, the methods, the protocols, the support from everyone about the pit lanes, journalists, support categories has been fantastic. Yes, it's been a learning experience for us all. There's been minor tweaks along the way, but overall, as a process and as a structure, I think we're about there. I'm proud of what we've done. There's certainly a big level of confidence. I think one part is not to be complacent. It is probably the big part, end quote. And absolutely, I think that uh, what they've done is uh, is absolutely amazing. I mean, uh, we, we've obviously learned, uh, and I'm using the royal we here, I mean, uh, humanity as a whole. We've learned uh, quite a bit about uh, COVID-19 over the past uh, several months and uh, ever since it really burst into Western uh, society uh, earlier in, in March and uh, and really snowballed and took everybody uh, by surprise, despite there being obvious outbreaks in China, in Iran, in Italy, and then into Spain and France and, uh, and around the world uh, eventually. But I mean, we're in a much, much different place now uh, compared to where we were the middle of March at the uh, the, the Austrian. Australian Grand Prix when uh, one of the McLaren team members uh, uh, tested positive uh, for COVID. I mean, everything, it's, I mean, we're all going to look back at this time years from now once uh, hopefully we put this all behind us. Uh, what, what a strange and bizarre and unsettling time it was. But Compared to where we are now, uh, e- even though cases are surging in certain parts of the world and uh, it, it, it's far from over, I mean, there there is a bit of normality that's uh, that, that has come back uh, to the world in general. I mean, we've kind of learned how to live with it in certain situations. I do find in general that the, the, the messaging can be a little bit uh, confusing. And I'm not really going to get into that uh, debate that, yes, you should wear a mask or you know you shouldn't wear a mask, but th- that's a completely different uh, topic. But I, I do find it interesting. I mean, where I live right now, they've announced a full return to school for the kids uh, starting in September. Masks aren't going to be mandatory, but I mean, they're going to have uh, physical distancing and all that but yet you know I can't go into the grocery store and uh, you know they're they're counting the amount of people that uh, they're they're letting in I can't go into Costco uh, you know just down the road here without wearing a mask so I, I mean, these things I find uh, a little bit uh, confusing. However, that's a bit of a tangent. Uh, just in general, just uh, talking about where Formula One is. I mean, if we go back uh, those uh, three, four months ago, especially going back uh, to Melbourne when that uh, it was announced that uh, you know the, the McLaren uh, the person had uh, tested positive. I mean, the whole thing rapidly started falling apart. I mean, it's come out since that they'd made an agreement to race and and all these sorts of things uh, before it was ultimately uh, cancelled and um, you know everybody 
everybody was kind of left wondering, you know, what, what is going on. But everything was getting canceled at that point. I mean, other sports, concerts, conferences, um, schools, whatever. I mean, it was a very, very uh, strange time. But now you fast forward a couple of months now that we've, uh, we, we know a little bit more about how this uh, virus acts. And, uh, you know, there's uh, it's been studied to a certain degree. I mean, there's uh, vaccine trials underway around the globe. And um, the, the, the way that Formula One has come up with this plan, and they've implemented this plan over the past uh, month, and obviously the run up uh, to the season itself, um, what with, uh, you know, when the, when the, they started, uh, uh, restarted working in the factories and design offices at the different teams and all those things that is very very different uh, I, I mean obviously I'm I'm very concerned for Sergio Perez and for anybody for that uh, that matter you don't have to be a, a famous Formula One driver who uh, contracts uh, COVID-19 but it, it is interesting now to see that uh, whereas it brought the whole circus to a grinding halt uh, just a couple of months ago that it's uh, Perez that's just been isolated and removed and then a very small uh, select pod of people that were in his immediate bubble within the team so Hopefully that is, uh, you know, it, it's been contained. It won't uh, spread any further. And uh, from from what I read about uh, Perez, it's not like he is, uh, you know, he, he's overtly sick. He's running a temperature. He's coughing. He's got all these, you know, d- different things that, uh, that that people, uh, uh, you know, show when they're sick uh, with uh, you know, with COVID or or in cases not. Uh, but uh, I, I believe the way that the test work is that or, or work that um, there were two genes of COVID that uh, that showed up in his test. In, in the first test, only one of these genes uh, tested positive, and then the other one uh, did. Did not so it was inconclusive, and then uh, when they retested him, then he tested positive uh, for for signs of uh, both these uh, COVID nineteen genes. So therefore, he was you know put into isolation, and uh, well you know he's obviously got to wait it out for the next uh, ten days and self isolate and 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 do what he needs to do, and hopefully that uh, it, it doesn't uh, go any further than that. Uh, that uh, you know it, it's been caught in time, and he, he can just uh, take care of himself over the next uh, ten days to two weeks, and and hopefully it just uh it passes that way but it is uh, like i say it, it's fascinating just from uh, you know an outside point of view that uh, now that they have the, the protocols in place that uh, that just perez and his immediate bubble were uh, removed and uh, you know now you got um, uh, nico hulkenberg coming in to replace him that it seems to have been at least from uh, you know an outside perspective uh, fairly smooth and seamless and uh, I guess the bigger question is, um, are, are the, uh, the the protocols that they have in place sufficient enough that uh, the uh, you know the, the the virus is contained to uh, Sergio Perez and and, and hopefully nobody else uh, within his bubble and certainly nobody else within the team or within the paddock itself. And of course, uh, you know there is a seven to fourteen day incubation period, so we might uh, see some additional things happen. Over the next uh, several days to to two weeks, and and hopefully not. Let's hope that they've uh, nipped it in the bud. But uh, as we've seen in other sports, especially Major League B- uh, Baseball, as uh, they've gotten their season up and running, that. Uh, it it is happening. I mean, there there are players uh, testing positive uh, for this all the time. And on Thursday, uh, the Buffalo Bills had uh, a number of players test positive. They sent their rookies home from training camp and all that. So, it is uh, sports is not immune, uh, even though they're they're doing their very best. And um, 
well, we'll wait and see. Anyways, uh, let's move along now and uh, talk, um, well, let's talk about what else is uh, <laughs> on the news. And uh, well, a lot of it is uh, COVID uh, related. And uh, just before we go into the break here, just uh, want to talk about how uh, Silverstone, uh, the, the track has said uh, their uh, business has actually been set back at least five years uh, because of the impact uh, of the uh, of the, the, the paddock. Anyways, uh, Stuart Pringle, who is the, uh, the, the, the president of, uh, of Silverstone, uh, had to say, quote, it's like a big game of snakes and ladders. We've been crawling up a very long ladder and it's been getting very tiring. But now we're just going back all the way down back down the snake and it set our business back about five years in terms of balance sheets uh, positions. So yeah, I mean, it's uh, been a very, very difficult time uh, for everybody and uh, Formula One and motorsport uh, has not been immune, obviously. All right, uh, time for a break here on the um, Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Well, welcome back to Scuderia F1, the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. So just sticking with the the topic uh, we were talking about uh, before we went into uh, the, the break just now is um, some of this uh, COVID-related uh, fallout uh, that is uh, impacting uh, Formula One. And uh, there's news coming out of uh, Brumil, uh, Brazil pardon me, that uh, their promoter, Tomás Rohanyi, pardon me, says that uh, due to the cancellation of uh, the Brazil Brazilian Grand Prix uh, that uh, that uh, it's possible that uh, that motorsports will hurt the country's racing future, and um, I find that uh, you know quite uh, quite shocking. But uh, obviously, it's had a lot of impact uh, on, on people. Anyways, uh, Rony had to say, "quote A lot of people depend on this, not only in F1 but all the other categories. I like to believe it's an important venue, if only because of the tradition we have here. Brazilian drivers have won eight times the World Championship. Frankly." I spoke to the president of the Brazilian ASN and he said to me, if you lose a race, Brazilian motor racing will be dead for the next 40 years because all these kids who drive carts, they hope one day to go to F1, but they will stop, end quote. So hopefully not. Uh, of course, uh, Brazil has been another one of these countries that has been uh, severely impacted uh, by, by, by COVID, um, but it is sad that uh, a lot of these races have been uh, been cancelled, but uh, hopefully 
that uh, this is just a, a temporary thing and the loss of the race of a year and and hopefully not uh, beyond uh, 2020 is not going to have uh, a huge impact on uh, Brazil and uh, and the racing drivers there. Anyways, uh, Rowan Yee also went on. He was quite uh, quite angry about that. Uh, he had to say, quote, first of all, this cancellation caught us uh, not by surprise, uh, but I must uh, say the justification, the reasoning behind it, we cannot accept. They talk about the uh, virus infection rate in Brazil, which is like uh, comparing uh, California to Florida and a country like Brazil, which is a lot of continental dimensions. We have all the numbers for state and the city of Sao Paulo. This data has been submitted to the FIA Medical Commission by our own medical medical officer, who, by the way, is its vice president. And they are very good figures. In fact, if you look at the figures of Sao Paulo, even Brazil, in a proportional base compared to England, it's much better. So when you read the cancellation notice uh, we got from the FOM yesterday, it just doesn't stand up. It's clearly sort of an almost invented reasoning to cancel this race, end quote. Yeah, well, obviously uh, very disappointing. Um, I, I quite enjoyed the, um, the, 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 the Brazilian Grand Prix. Health and safety has to come first. But uh, I, I can certainly understand uh, and, and empathize with uh, Rowan Yee's, um, uh, you know, disappointment and frustration in in having the event uh, cancelled, especially when uh, you know he's, he is saying that the numbers uh, proportionally are, are actually quite good in that part of the country. But the, the Brazilian Grand Prix was uh, scheduled uh, for a couple of months out. Who knows if uh, if that had uh, something to do with it? But. You know, we've all had to to put up with that. I mean, we're we're looking at a very improvised um, a racing schedule here, and it's already changed a number of times with the races that have been canceled, new races added, and um, it it's probably going to change again before the year is done. And it is going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out uh, between now and the end of the year. Probably, hopefully, sometime in November with the uh, traditional uh, season finale in Abu Dhabi. And if uh, we can get that far and if they can pull it off, I think it will be absolutely uh, phenomenal. And, uh, you know, honestly, I think it would be quite... Uh, you know, an epic achievement if they uh, can can pull it off. Anyways, uh, the the promoters of the Italian Grand Prix at Monza, which is uh, set to to take place in uh, just a, a couple of months, just over a month from now, not a couple of months, uh, in the, the the first weekend of uh, September, six September is going to be the the date of the Italian Grand Prix at Monza. They have announced that the race will actually take place uh, behind closed doors with uh, no uh, fans uh, permitted to uh, attend uh, the event. So, um, the the bosses of Formula One have been they've been optimistic. Uh, about getting fans to the races uh, by the autumn. I mean, we're still obviously in the middle of uh, summer here in the Northern Hemisphere, but um, they're actually selling tickets uh, for September's uh, Russian Grand Prix at the Saatchi Autodrome, and they're hoping to have tens of thousands of people in in attendance for the Portuguese uh, Grand Prix at Portimao in uh, in October. So that's uh, you know a couple of months out. Hopefully that uh, that that would uh, will happen. Apparently, F1 was trying to get uh, people into um, into the stands at the Italian Grand Prix at the beginning of September, uh, with just a, a limited number of people. But uh, but still, but um, it's just not going to happen. And uh, the, the the race organizers at uh, at Monza uh, announced uh, on uh, on Wednesday that it is going to be a closed door event, which um, obviously disappointing for the people that uh, that, that want to go and. At least for for uh, from a TV point of view, I mean, it, it looks a little bit weird uh, to to see all these uh, empty venues. But uh, NHL started again uh, just uh, this week, and um, yeah, it looks strange that uh, that these arenas are empty. The same with uh, with any other sport as well. But Formula One, 
it's it's working for me to be quite honest. Uh, I, I can get over the fact that the stands are empty, and I think um, they they've been innovative in some ways to put some of these big banners over the empty seats, or like we saw at the uh, the, the grandstand at the uh, the last corner at the uh, at the Red Bull Ring. The second uh, race, they put uh, some of these uh, colored uh, lights up there that would, uh, they put up the driver's names and numbers and kind of have a bit of a light show. I thought that was kind of cool, but I mean, the, the, the focus is always what's happening on the track. And at least uh, from from that point of uh, view, that uh, despite it, it kind of feels like, uh, you know, uh, it, it obviously is lacking an atmosphere and and lacking that, uh, you know, the, the the real vibe you get with, uh, with, with a packed, uh, you know, uh, racetrack uh, full of uh, Formula One fans, it it doesn't really diminish it in my eyes watching it uh, a whole lot. It, it, it is strange, but uh, for, for me, it, it works. Anyways, uh, there was a statement that was uh, released by the organizers of the Italian Grand Prix, and they had to say, quote, the 2020 Formula One Italian Grand Prix at the Autodromo Nazionale Monza from 46 September will take place behind closed doors, i.e. without spectators. Tickets already purchased will be refunded for the full value on the face price shown on them, end quote. So uh, the the Tuscan Grand Prix, which is uh, going to go at uh, Mugello uh, the, the week uh, after that, uh, there is maybe a possibility uh, where Formula One could get some fans into the Grand Strand, but even so, that would be uh, a very limited uh, number. And I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing some of these uh, tracks that uh, we don't get to see very often or at all uh, Imola, Mugello, Portimao, Nürburgring. Um, as I spoke about last week, uh, Nürburgring obviously has a uh, you know special place uh, you know in my Formula One heart. So looking forward to to, to that. And we'll see uh, so how some of the you know, the, re- the rest of the schedule uh, pans out. But if they can actually get people back into the stands, even in limited numbers, I think that would be um, that, that would be quite the uh, a- a- achievement. Uh, it might be kind of strange to be sitting there in the stands, fifty feet uh, away from the, the the next people, but it would. Uh, it, I think just from a moral point of view, like uh, it would be a real uh, you know like a, a morale boost. Uh, I should say uh, a morale booster to see people back there if it can be done safely. Anyway, it's uh, Lando Norris, the McLaren driver, says uh, driving in front of fanless Grand Prix stands is uh, a lot like Formula Renault races. Uh, anyways, um, Lando had to say, quote, I've missed them a lot. I've missed the whole atmosphere uh, from them. You know, it feels a lot more like a race in Formula Renault where you go and there's not that many fans or sometimes like Formula 3, you go to the, to the racetracks and there just aren't many fans. And it's almost a bit like karting in some ways where you just go there to race rather than to put on a great show for anyone. So it's weird. And it's something that every driver, I'm sure, even the engineers and the mechanics, they miss the atmosphere from it and seeing the emotion from the fans, end quote. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I pick up on it my, myself, like I was saying, just watching the TV, but you know, it still works. It's still racing. It's still, uh, you know, 20 Formula One cars out there, um, you know, fighting, uh, fighting out on the tracks. And um, I'm, I'm not going to complain. Compa- considering what we've all been through and what we continue to go through, uh, what with, uh, you know, COVID and everything else, Formula One and sports in general, it is it is a nice distraction to have a couple of hours at a time. And I know this, we can make the argument for first world problems and things like that, but you know, whatever it uh, it certainly is is a way to disengage from the the, the stresses and the pressures and uh, all the problems that, uh, that that we're facing the other twenty two hours uh, of the day or whatever it might be. So if um, you know we we can get uh, races going without fans, with fans, and uh, you know even if there are uh, multiple races at the same track. 
I'm perfectly okay with it uh, for the time uh, being. Anyways, uh, sticking with Lando Norris, uh, I just wanted to uh, uh, bring this one up because we were just talking about the Italian Grand Prix. He says he doesn't uh, expect much overtaking at, uh, at Mugello, what uh, he dis- uh, he calls uh, an awesome uh, track to, to drive. Uh, Lando to say, quote, I look forward to it. Mugello, I raced in uh, an Italian F4 back in 2015, I think, and it was really cool. It's very high speed or medium to high speed corners, no real tight chicanes, almost like Austria in some ways without the big braking zones on top of it. These high speed, medium speed corners test the physical attributes of the driver to the limit. This is F1 to the limit in terms of how quick F1 cars are around these types of corners. It may be not be the best for racing. I don't know if you'll probably see any overtakes between turn one and the last corner. So I think it's almost going to be like hungry in some ways. But at the same time, it's an awesome track. So qualifying, I think will be incredible, end quote. So we'll wait and see. It's going to only uh, just over a month until uh, we get to Mugello. So uh, really uh, looking forward to it. So apparently Imola is also eyeing a place uh, on the schedule and hoping to get uh, back into Formula One for 2021. Uh, right now, uh, Imola is on the um, uh, on on the schedule for the last weekend in uh, October, beginning of November, which is traditionally Mexican Grand Prix time. So a little bit different. Um, Sad not to be in Mexico and uh, the you know the this year, but we will have uh, the uh, Emilia Romagna GP at Imola on uh, you know, from the 31st of October to uh, November 1st, and uh, they are looking to get back on the schedule for for next year. And um, I I just have nothing but uh, praise and good things to say to the the, the people that have worked so hard to uh, to to put this schedule uh, together. I mean. When they announced the the, the first number of races, uh, I, I guess even up until uh, Monza, I kept thinking for the longest time, yeah, maybe that's all we're going to get. Um, you know, th- that might be the world championship. Is this really abbreviated sprint? Really short uh, season in the summer, but uh, the the fact that um, that they're still adding races, and uh, you know, well, we might get Bahrain and uh, and Abu Dhabi at the at the end of the season. I, I think that if we can get somewhere close to this fifteen to eighteen race season that they're hoping for, um, I, I think that uh, that that would be just absolutely uh, amazing if they can pull it off. Um, anyways, uh, like I say, they um, are looking for a uh, a spot on the schedule next year, and uh, Sylvester. Atense, who is uh, the, uh, the 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 manager? Sorry, the manager at. Uh at uh, Imola, he had to say, quote, we have been looking for this goal for many years. We have talked with the F1 management people for a long time, and now we've achieved the target that we've tried to get. I think our heritage is so important. We are so famous for F1 that this uh, opportunity came true, not only because of COVID, but also because F1 needs to come back to the historical tracks, back to the real passion of F1 fans. We are trying to apply for uh, to F1 for an opportunity for next year, but there's everything to discuss after the race, I think. Our will is very clear we are driven by our uh, passion and quotes yeah well i do main, maintain that uh, that that uh, formula 1 absolutely needs these historic uh, tracks on the uh, on the schedule each and every year. Uh, to me, it just uh, seems weird that uh, you wouldn't have a German Grand Prix, you wouldn't have a French Grand Prix. I mean, uh, we, we've been back to Paul Ricard a couple of years now, but it's been many years uh, with uh, without a French Grand Prix. And uh, and to, to me, it just uh, it just Formula One wouldn't be the same, uh, especially if you didn't have like Silverstone or British Grand Prix. I mean, some of these have to be uh, staples uh, each and every year. I I'm all for adding uh, new venues, new tracks to it. I mean, there's some great 
great tracks that uh, that Formula One uh, go to, and uh, they, they couldn't be without now too. But I think you really have to strike that balance uh, between the old and the new, and you, you have to have these uh, these famous ones. You need your Monzas, you need your Spas, you need your Silverstones and tracks like that. But on the flip side, I, I love a lot of these new tracks as well. I really love the the Singapore Grand Prix. I think it's a it's cool. I, I like um, you know some of the races we see in the desert as well. And uh, for for me, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, you know the Vietnamese Grand Prix in Hanoi. Should that uh, ever get off the ground, and looking forward to going back to, to Zandvoort. Uh, obviously, that's a, not a new one, but uh, the, the the redesigned Bank Corner at Zandvoort, and the, the first time we're gonna have a Dutch Grand Prix since the 1980s. I think that's uh, gonna be cool as well. And uh, any time we see newer tracks uh, come in. I mean, there's one point uh, a year or so ago that uh, Chase Carey was saying that they had up to 40 different venues expressing uh, interest uh, in hosting a, a Grand Prix. So, I mean, there's obviously lots of racetracks around the world and a lot of uh, interest uh, for races, but uh, we'll see whether or not Imola sticks on the schedule for 2021 or not. Anyways, uh, time for another break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in just one moment. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And uh, just to um, pick up where we just left off uh, before the break. Uh, so we do have 13 uh, rounds officially confirmed for the season uh, thus far. Um, obviously, we've had uh, two weekends at the Red Bull Ring under our belt, Hungara Ring uh, two weeks ago, and we got uh, two weekends at Silverstone coming up. After that, we have uh, Barcelona, Spa, Monza, Mugello, Sochi, Nürburgring at the beginning of October, Portimao, October 25th, and then rounding out the confirmed races, Imola, on uh, November 1st. Now, the the cancelled races, um, obviously the list is long, was um, Australia, Zanfort, uh, Monaco, Baku, Montreal, Paul Ricard, uh, the Singapore Grand Prix, the Japanese Grand Prix, uh, the US Grand Prix, the Mexican Grand Prix, and the Brazilian Grand Prix. So, um, the Chinese Grand Prix in Shanghai is not officially cancelled, but uh, unlikely uh, to be held. Um, it's still possible that uh, we might uh, uh, might see some more added uh, at the end of the the, 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 the year with uh, two races in uh, Bahrain uh, followed by the, uh, the the finale in Abu Dhabi and it is possible that uh, the Vietnamese Grand Prix and uh, and Malaysia may actually uh, come back uh, with a possible uh, uh, races at uh, those two uh, tracks in uh, what will be an expanded uh, leg of the, uh, the the Asian portion of the Formula One season and so that, you know, is interesting. I mean, we haven't been in uh, Malaysia for a couple of years. And uh, obviously, they, they'd raced there for a very, very long time uh, before that uh, that one kind of fell by the wayside. So it's good to see that some of these tracks are, you know, going to be uh, available, obviously, but uh, also able to, to, to host uh, Formula One. Uh, talking about uh, just the, the, the British Grand Prix, apparently racing in reverse on uh, the, the track at Silverstone was never an option. And that uh, comes uh, courtesy of um, uh, Silverstone's uh, boss, Stuart Pringle, saying that uh, using the alternative layout or running the the the, uh, the race in reverse were never really seriously considered in the um, you know this ad hoc uh, Formula One uh, season. Anyways, uh, Pringle had to say, "quote Well, it wasn't really a, a serious idea uh, because Silverstone is about the Grand Prix circuit. You, you can't go the other way around. That was just me mischievously not shutting down a journalist uh, quickly enough. But that was great because he, that ran for three or four weeks and kept our name out there. 
Uh, we are a handed circuit. Uh, we cannot go the other way around. And actually, if we raced on the international layout, then you would just get half the good corners twice as often. Uh, you haven't uh, suddenly got a new different uh, configuration. What, uh, whatever we do is a slice pairing down, and we uh, they weren't going to go racing around the national layout, and they'd end up very dizzy, so it was never taken seriously, end quote. So, yeah, that was kind of interesting. I mean, that uh, that was out there, but uh, it's interesting now that uh, that, that it was, uh, you know, admitted by the person who said it himself that it, was, um, <laughs> it wasn't really a serious thing uh, uh, to say. So, apparently, Pringle also said uh, that they offered to host 12 Formula One races over a period of months to help uh, Formula One organize uh, uh, sort of a, a piece together 2020 calendar that uh, was obviously thrown into complete uh, disarray uh, because of uh, COVID and all, all the things uh, that uh, that were, were going on over the, the, the past several months. And uh, he had to say, quote, we said we'll support however we can within the grounds of reasonableness. Uh, but at one stage, we offered to make the track available for a period of months. If they could get a championship away from one location at one stage, it looked like nothing could happen. And the answer was uh, a ship in the Italian teams and uh, the Swiss teams and the Pirelli guys and park them at Silverstone for a couple of months and run 12 races around Silverstone and make television if that's what we need. Uh, the view was actually taken pretty quickly that it would be a bit dull, but they came back and said actually two would be quite helpful, end quote. So, yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> 12 races, you know, kudos, props to him for for, for offering it. Uh, but uh, I think that that would have, uh, don't think that would have worked. I mean, um, having the doubleheader in, in Austria obviously worked. But uh, by the time we got to the end of the second race, the so-called Styrian Grand Prix, I'd pretty much uh, had my fill. And uh, even uh, Andreas Seidel, who's the team principal at uh, McLaren, said that triple headers cannot become the new standard in F1's uh, future calendars, uh, even though that uh, you know they've become a thing uh, this uh, this weekend. Um, anyways, uh, Seidel had to say, we're going out into the triple header with these two races in the UK, which is obviously for the UK teams is not as bad as uh, for some of the other teams. At least we have the possibility to arrive at the track as late as possible with only a short travel and having a break between the two Silverstone races. Then we go into another triple header. And then at the moment, I think uh, on the schedule, there's another triple header later on, which I think is tough. Given the special circumstances we are in this year, I think it's something we have to get through this year. But at the same time, this cannot be the new standard going forward, but also in future seasons. So uh, yeah, obviously, I think uh, he's getting more. I sort of misread that originally when I made my notes. He's not talking about having a, a number of races at the same track. He's just talking about uh, triple header weekends where you have uh, three races uh, in a row. I mean, it was pretty cool. I mean, to have uh, the first three races of the year, two in Austria, one in Hungary, you know, weekend after weekend after weekend. I mean, we saw it a couple of years ago. Where What did we have now? I think it was the British, German and French Grand Prix or something like that. It was uh, all one, you know, in three consecutive weekends uh, in July, because I remember it was the same time as uh, the FIFA World Cup. So, I mean, it was, it was absolutely epic. You had that going on. You had Formula One triple header weekends going on. You had the Tour de France going on. Plus, you had basketball, baseball, everything else uh, that you, you get going on in the summer. So, I mean, it was uh, it was sports fans' uh, absolute uh, dream. But 
obviously when you're racing in uh, you know consecutive weekends uh you know back to back to back like that uh, that that puts a lot of strain uh, not just uh, logistically but also uh physically and mentally uh probably emotionally i think uh, on all the people in, involved but uh, he's also right uh, it it is a unique uh, year that we are in right now because of this bizarre covid landscape uh, that we live in and it's just uh, something uh, that uh, we're going to have to uh, work through uh, over the course of uh, this year. Anyway, so let's talk a little bit now about uh, the, the race that's uh, coming up uh, before we uh, finish this segment in the show. So uh, the FAA is going to clamp down on track limits at Silverstone uh, this weekend uh, with a specific focus on cops and stow corners. And in the pre-event notes for the British uh, Grand Prix, uh, race director, pardon me, race director Michael Massey said that any driver that goes uh, behind the black and white curbs on the exits of turns 9 and 15 will have their lapse times deleted. And it doesn't matter if it's in uh, practice qualifying or even the the, the race itself uh, and he went on to say that multiple uh, offenses regardless uh, if they happen at the same corner or not will result in a black and white uh, flag being shown to that uh, driver anyways uh, Massey had to so it's pardon me had to say a lap time achieved during any practice session or the track or the race uh, by leaving the track and cutting behind the black and white curb on the exit of turn 9-15 will result in that lap time being invalidated by the stewards each time any car passes behind the black and white exit curbs, teams will be informed via the official messaging system. On the third occasion of a driver cutting behind the black and white exit curbs at turns 9 and 15 during the race, he will be shown a black and white flag and any further cutting will then be reported to the stewards. For the avoidance of doubt, this means a total of three occasions combined, not three at each co- uh, corner. Uh, the above requirements will not automatically apply to any uh, driver who's judged to have been forced off the track. Each case will be judged individually, end quote. So there you go. Obviously, uh, they want to uh, crack down on that uh, quite a bit. And we've, we've seen that, uh, you know, uh, over the past uh, couple of races. And I think that, uh, that they have to, uh, you know, they, they have to do that. I mean, uh, if you, uh, people are getting an advantage, I mean, you got to stick between the two white lines uh, between, uh, you know, on the asphalt. I mean, if you're going too crazy, then that's uh, just not right. I mean, it was it was kind of fun to watch, uh, you know, some of these uh, virtual Grand Prix that we saw over the past uh, several months, uh, especially when it was uh, not the Chinese Grand Prix, I think it was, when you saw some of these uh, bizarre lines that uh, the guys were taking when playing, uh, you know, video games, uh, especially at, uh, at uh, Shanghai, when you come out of that last corner, they'd run really, really wide onto the runoff area just uh, at the start of the the, you know, the, the final corner going into start finish. And obviously they don't do that in real life uh, at, at all. So it's not a video game, guys. Stick to the, you know, stick between the white lines and you're not going to get uh, punished for it. So anyways, uh, Red Bull, they're planning to run uh, a big trial of uh, new parts at uh, Silverstone uh, this uh, weekend. Uh, apparently the RB16 has uh, what the you know, Red Bull are calling some anomalies that uh, they're trying to figure out. And um, they're, uh, they're, they're obviously a little bit uh, disappointed that uh, the car has not really delivered what they were hoping to uh, be more of a challenger uh, to Mercedes, uh, at least through the first uh, three races of uh, the, the season. Uh, so Max Verstappen and Alex Albon, are, they're, they're prepared uh, that uh, the, the team might need a little bit of time to sort everything out, uh, but they're really hoping that the, the new parts they're bringing to Silverstone will uh, help uh, deliver some uh, some move forward, some progress uh, to closing the gap uh, between uh, themselves and uh, Mercedes-Benz. Uh, Max Verstappen had to say, quote, I think we are still learning. We're bringing a lot of new parts to the car. They are different parts to see what works, what doesn't, and where we can still improve. 
I mean, this is of course not from one week to, to the other that this is going to be solved. We, uh, we need a bit more time for that, but yeah, we're working on it and we'll just find out by trying it on track as well to know if we're heading in the right direction, end quote. So yeah, a, a bit disappointing, obviously, uh, that uh, that they haven't been uh, closer to Mercedes uh, this year. I mean, if you kind of look at uh, you know going back a couple of races, the way that uh, Valtteri Bottas really just cruised by Max Verstappen. I mean, he was only really held up uh, for one lap. Uh, you know, towards the end of the race there, and he did, uh, you know, come very close to to catching him at the uh, you know the the, the final few uh, laps of the um, uh, you know the 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 uh, uh, pardon me the uh, Hungarian Grand Prix two weeks ago, but uh, he needed a couple more laps uh, uh, to, to do it. So, um, you know, very very interesting that uh, you know the. Uh, <laughs> uh, that they're still trying to figure it out and hopefully they can get, you know, they, they can figure it out. I mean, it is going to be obviously like we, we've said all along going to be a strange season just because of the, the, the way that it's, uh, you know, really unfolded because of COVID and all these sorts of things. But I really hoped uh, that, uh, that somebody would have been uh, close to Mercedes uh, and, and, and Red Bull has been at least from that point, a little bit uh, disappointing uh, so far. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, Valtteri Bottas is going to have his rev lights uh, changed um, after his uh, as uh, his uh, jump start at the Hungarian Grand Prix, which he put down to watching the the, the wrong lights on his dashboard rather than the red lights on the uh, the, the gantry above the uh, the start finish uh, straight. So that uh, obviously he didn't get penalized for that, but the uh, well the damage was done, wasn't it? Uh, he um, it, it was uh, more of a self imposed uh, penalty rather than a time penalty issued by by the stewards. Due to to the fact he was a little bit, uh, you know, he, he jumped the gun, so to speak, and uh, he lost uh, several places off the start, uh, even though he was, uh, you know, he was in good place to challenge his teammate. And obviously it cost him a, a whole bunch of uh, points uh, potentially. And who knows, uh, at the end of the year, that could be one of those uh, instances uh, when you're looking, well, you know, I finished third in that race, probably should have uh, finished at least second, uh, had a good uh, shot to maybe win this one. But, uh, you know, if he loses uh, the, the, the championship uh, to Lewis Hamilton by, uh, by a handful of uh, points uh, by the time the year is done, that might be one of those uh, races that, uh, that he looks back on and, uh, and, and, and really ruse the, the, the mistake that, that he made uh, before the race even started. Anyways, uh, Martin Brundle has uh, put down that there's any sort of conspiracy uh, theory going on uh, re- regarding a, a recent interview that he did with Sebastian Vettel, uh, and that really sort of sowed the seed that uh, that Seb was getting ready to announce his uh, re- retirement. Anyways, um, uh, Brundle had to say, quote, I met him on the corner of the TV compound in Austria. He was heading off somewhere. We were in our mask, socially distanced, and he said, let's uh, do an interview. Let's do an interview. So I said, okay, let's do that. What do you want to talk about? He said, you make it up. I said, okay, I'll make it up. Let's do an interview. And that was it. Then I stupidly mentioned that because uh, David Croft was supposed to throw uh, to Ted uh, Kravitz in the grandstand and he missed, as obviously we got uh, completely different uh, systems to what we would normally have at a Grand Prix. Somehow Crofty thought uh, he had to throw it uh, to me. I was uh, walking back out and I just heard something about Vettel and I said, oh yeah, sorry, I I didn't know uh, you'd come to me, Crofty. Vettel, yeah, actually he's uh, asked me for an interview. 
Um, of course, I turned to Sebastian, uh, that, that uh, turned in Sebastian Vettel is going to retire. He's asked uh, Brundle for an interview. It was nothing more cunning than that, and it was my own stupidity because I was suddenly live on air, and I wasn't expecting to be. If that uh, fills you in on how, how it all came about, there was nothing, as so often happens in these uh, stories, then there's nothing more exciting than that, end quote. So, uh, who, <laughs> who knows? I mean, uh, only uh, Vettel and uh, and Brundle uh, will, will actually know, but I, I mean, I, I can tell you for a fact that uh, these um, these impromptu um, interviews um, do happen in, in in professional sports, and uh, I've experienced that myself in uh, the the coverage I've done in Major League Soccer over the years. Especially if these guys they they they, they see you around, you talk to them, you ask them questions at, at practice after the games, they see you at the different uh, you know facilities, and you know sometimes with some guys are into it, some guys aren't. Some guys you sort of uh, build up a little a bit of rapport with, and uh, I, I've had uh, you know guys come up to me uh, many times in. The past, they'll they'll see you uh, standing around, maybe waiting for a press conference or a media scrum to begin. And I've had guys come over and say, "Hey, you want to talk? Uh, you want to do an interview?" And um, <laughs> some guys are really gun ho, and some guys just uh, hate doing the media stuff unless uh, you know they're 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 asked to, to do it as part of the requirements. And uh, other guys are really into it. So I can uh, honestly say that uh, I no, I can't uh, confirm uh, obviously what uh, what happened with Martin Brundle, but I don't uh, necessarily dismiss what uh, out of hand. Uh, what he said because uh, I, I've seen it, I, I've experienced it uh, myself. Anyways, uh, one time for time for one more final break here on the show. Don't go away. We'll be back in uh, just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. Uh, Danny Ricardo, former teammate of uh, Sebastian uh, Vettel. Uh, obviously, they raced a couple of years together at, uh, at Red Bull Racing uh, several years ago. Said that uh, Seb will need patience and an open mind if he's going to make the most of a challenge of uh, potentially shifting uh, over to Aston Martin next year. And so this is still ongoing. It's uh, it's out there. I mean, both parties admit uh, that uh, there have been uh, you know talks uh, ongoing, and uh, so we We'll see over the days and weeks uh, to come uh, whether or not uh, this uh, becomes a thing or not. And uh, Seb actually goes there. We know obviously he's not going to be at uh, Ferrari because that uh, was confirmed uh, several months ago that uh, that is done and he is finished at the end of the year and uh, will be uh, replaced uh, by Carlos Sainz. Any uh, Danny Rick had to say about uh, the whole potential Aston Martin move for uh, Sebastian Vettel as uh, the following quote. I think for Seb in his situation, he's had pretty much his whole career in the sport running at the front. Uh, probably every year he's contested in Formula One, he's been on the podium more or less. So if he goes in the midfield team, it's foreign territory for him. I think it requires a bit more of an open mind, certainly some patience. But yeah, that's obviously up to him and where he sees his next chapter of his career, end quote. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, Seb won four world championships uh, with uh, with Red Bull. He's had some success at uh, Ferrari. Obviously, that uh, world championship has, uh, has eluded him uh, there. But still, I mean, uh, you know, he, he's always had a, a pretty competitive car. Well, and Ferrari this year and probably last year as well. Uh, that is uh, obviously not the case. But certainly, I mean, he he's always been in a, in a pretty good position. I mean, he was, uh, you know, in, at Red Bull when they were at their best and uh, has a whole bunch of world championships uh, to, to show for it. So that is the the, the big question is uh, whether or not he wants to take on the, this uh, this challenge now at this, uh, you know, this point in his career or if he decides to, uh, you know, hang up his helmet and, and racing gloves and, and, and call it a day. 
Anyways, uh, Vettel himself says he's uh, absolutely not in a rush to make a decision about his uh, future uh, as he weighs up his options, uh, you know, for for 2021. And uh, he had to say, uh, uh, quote, he had no answer. And uh, he went on to say he would give an answer if he had one, but he doesn't have one at the moment. And uh, he's just going to be uh, patient for the time being and wait it out. So he says it could be anywhere from a couple of weeks. It could be longer than that. And um, he said that uh, nothing has uh, changed at all in the situation uh, over the past uh, several uh, weeks since uh, you know the first uh, couple of races. So who knows? It would be interesting. I would kind of uh, be sad to see uh, Sebastian Vettel go out of uh, Formula One. I've been hard on him over the years, uh, especially when he's been in this tough place uh, with uh, Ferrari and had some, obviously, some very <laughs> poor moments, moments uh, he would like uh, like to take back. I, I'm very, very sure. But when you're a four-time world championship or champion, I'm going to hold you to a, a higher standard than uh, than than some of these other guys, uh, especially uh, guys that, uh, that that are down at uh, the, the bottom of the grid or guys that we just uh, you know, <laughs> in my mind, are a bit uh, questionable uh, talent-wise. And uh, Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold him to that uh, that that higher standard, but still, I would uh, you know I'd be a bit disappointed to uh, see him go. Even if it uh, you know he was to to go to a team like uh, like Aston Martin, it might be a, a difficult uh, move for uh, you know like uh, Danny Ricardo was saying, going from a front running team to a midfield team. But as we've seen with the you know what is Racing Point uh, is going to be Aston Martin next year, they've uh, done uh, very very uh, well, and uh, they've had some encouraging results uh, this. Year. Whether or not that car is 100% legit and legal, that is a completely different uh, story, and that uh, will uh, play out over the, the, the coming weeks and hopefully not months. Anyways, uh, Andreas Seidel from McLaren said he would like uh, Formula 1's technical regulations to, to be tightened up uh, to limit uh, the extent to which other teams can copy uh, other cars, and uh, this is just uh, more um, uh, fallout and uh, just uh, you know the, the same story of uh, Renault who have uh, protested the, the legality of uh, the, the racing point rp20 uh which is uh, you know they've been pretty open about uh, how they've uh, based it on the design of uh you know last year's uh, mercedes uh, w10 uh seidel said that there are no grounds uh, for protest against uh racing point but uh, he said uh, he feels that it's an important case for the future of formula one because uh, it, uh, it it risks what he calls uh, becoming a, a copying championship and yeah, that 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 is interesting. I mean, uh, you know, Ross Braun was saying last week that uh, that that copying goes on, or the uh, you know people uh, you know, copying the different concepts uh, in in in, uh, in in Formula One. Um, you know, it, it does happen. Uh, you know, you know, quite often, and uh, we've seen it over the you know, over the past, and and I'm sure we'll see it again. That if somebody comes up uh, with a, a winning concept, uh, that uh, that other teams and other designers are, are quick to, to jump on that, and and even uh, Otmar. Safnauer, the, uh, the 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 team principal of uh, Racing Point, uh, was saying last week that uh, that he was honestly surprised that uh, other teams actually hadn't uh, you know jumped on board to, to uh, you know to, to to do the same thing and uh, and try and uh, you know copy that same uh, concept that uh, that uh, that they've come up with uh, you know with uh, uh, you know the 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 W ten right. Anyways, uh, Martin Brundle says that he finds it difficult to believe that uh, Racing Point uh, managed to copy the uh, the W10 uh, so well but uh, he actually went on to uh, give the team some credit saying that they did uh, what was uh, an extraordinary job um 
Yeah, it, it is interesting that he should say that. And, and the exact quote is uh, as follows. Uh, quote, to replicate a car that works is stretching uh, my imagination on that. Having said that, they do buy, in a legitimate way, the engine and gearbox, which fixes your rear suspension, pickup points, and suspension elements. They buy everything they can. There's an awful lot of reference points on the car that they legitimately buy, and it's just there uh, are bits underneath aero parts and all that. When they created this, they had to finesse it, so they've done an extraordinary job, end quote. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to uh, to what uh, Otmar Safnauer was saying uh, last week, yeah, they, they they have obviously blatantly gone out and and used the W10 as uh, inspiration and as that uh, you know that model uh, for the car that uh, that Racing Point is designed and built and is uh, running this year. But he said that even though the the, the car is doing well uh, so far, we've seen some very very good uh, performances uh, you know from them over the past uh, you know the first three races of the season. But he had admitted that uh, that it was uh, it was several steps back from where they were at the end of last year with the uh, the, the car that they had and when they took on this uh, new design concept so there, there was that risk there he openly admitted that there was a risk to um, you know to, to following this uh, design uh, route to, 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 to using this um, you know this uh, you know that this model of the w10 and uh, and and applying it to, to their own car so I have to go with the uh i have to side with racing point because i just have to believe that if there there's just too much at stake in terms of uh, uh reputations in money and penalties and all these different things that uh, that, that that would have to uh, you know happen if uh, this car was actually a blatant copy of the uh, the, the the w10 uh, I, I think that if if that was the case heads would roll it would ruin people's careers their reputations in formula 1 and things like that not to mention all the the negative repercussions that the team itself would uh, would face, and not only that is like where did they get the the, the concepts, uh, the, like the the actual data from. So, I'm more from the 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 stance that they 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 used it as a uh, as a model. They used the concepts. They tried to apply it to, to their own car, and of course, they're always taking pictures. I mean, Ross Braun was talking about that too in the interview he did last week that they would pay people go to go out there to take all these different uh, pictures of the, their their rivals, and then. They they would uh, study them in detail. And um, again, I, I think that uh, there's just uh, too much at stake for it to be an out and uh, right uh, control C, control V and whip some, uh, you know, pink and white uh, livery on there. And, uh, you know, the all the, the sponsors that they have. Anyways, uh, Ferrari, uh, going back to uh, the, the cost saving measures that were discussed and implemented uh, over the past uh, several months, they proposed uh, going back to uh, customer cars in Formula One uh, to uh, help uh, safeguard the, the future of the sport, only to have uh, this uh, suggestion to be rejected by the entire rest of the Formula One grid, which, uh, you know, I think is uh, <laughs> a little bit shocking on a couple of uh, fronts because I, I just kind of struggle a little bit to, to think that uh, Ferrari would have done that uh, at all in the old days, uh, made that uh, suggestion, but I'm surprised that uh, the other teams uh, did, uh, dismissed it um, uh, outright. Anyways, uh, Mattia Bonato, uh, Ferrari team principal, had to say, quote, on what uh, should be the future during the COVID discussions, uh, as Ferrari, we brought uh, at least a, as a proposal to consider customer teams from the big teams as we eventually uh, did in MotoGP but that proposal was pushed back I think by the entirety of the teams of the uh, Formula One of the FIA which we fully understand I think that has been a decision which we all took together end quote so anyways that is uh, interesting that uh, to hear that uh, but 
Yeah, obviously it didn't work. Anyways, uh, uh, Johan Elkan, the the, the uh, chairman of uh, Ferrari, says he does not expect uh, the team to be winning in Formula One until at least 2022 and is asked for patience from what he calls the team's suffering fans. Uh, anyways, uh, he was uh, speaking uh, to uh, the Italian newspaper Gazzetta dello Sports about uh, Ferrari's recent form and says that it will not be until the new rules come into effect in 2022 that they can uh, really realistically expect to be at the front of the grid. Anyways, he had to say, quote, Ferrari is going through a difficult period that starts far back. We have not won a Constructors World Championship since 2008, nor a Drivers' won since 2007. There have been Red Bull winning cycles thanks to aerodynamic capacity and then Mercedes uh, for their great ability in hybrid engine technologies. Uh, this year, we are just not competitive thanks, uh, thanks to project errors. We have had a number of structural weaknesses that have existed in some time in aerodynamics and in the dynamics of the vehicle. We have also uh, lost out in engine power. Uh, to, the reality is that our car is not competitive. You saw it on the track and you will see it again. Today, we are laying the foundations for being competitive and returning to winning when the, the rules change in 2022. I am convinced of this, end quote. So uh, disappointing to hear that if you're a Ferrari fan, but uh, again, maybe not uh, the, the the most uh, shocking uh, admission. Uh, but still, it, uh, you know, if they're saying that uh, they're not expecting uh, to win until that time, uh, that feels like uh, that could be a, a little bit, uh, you know, uh, quite a timeout if you're a, a Ferrari fan. Anyway, so let's just uh, quickly take a, a look at some of the results uh, last year from the, uh, the 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 British Grand Prix as uh, we start to, to shut it down now. Uh, last year's race uh, was won by uh, Lewis Hamilton, uh, led his uh, teammate home by a very impressive uh, 24.9 seconds. Charles Leclerc rounded out uh, the, uh, the the podium. Uh, the top 10 uh, going on down there was uh, Pierre Gasly in uh, fourth for Red Bull, Max Verstappen in fifth, Carlos Sainz in sixth for McLaren, Danny Ricardo seventh for Renault, Kimi Raikkonen in Alfa Romeo, Danny Kvyat getting into the top 10 for the uh, Scuderia Toro Rosso, who uh, are now Alpha Tauri, and then uh, Nico Hulkenberg rounding out uh, the top 10. So uh, last year's race will be uh, probably remembered, I think, most uh, for the uh, coming together of uh, Sebastian Vettel and uh, and Max Verstappen just uh, before going into club corner there. That was obviously uh, quite uh, spectacular. Uh, qualifying uh, was as follows. Uh, we had uh, Valtteri Bottas on uh, pole, uh, just ahead of his uh, teammate uh, Lewis Hamilton. Then you had a uh, second row of Charles Leclerc and uh, Max Verstappen. Uh, row three, you had Pierre Gasly and Sebastian Vettel and Danny Ricardo and Lando Norris on row four. And then row five, you had uh, Alex Albon and uh, Nico Hulkenberg. Anyways, uh, Silverstone, one of my favorite uh, tracks, especially when you get to that uh, complex of uh, corners uh, from uh, 10 to 13, going through Maggots, uh, sorry, Maggots, uh, Beckets, then down into Chapel. Then you have Hangar Straight all the way down into Stowe. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, pretty iconic and just impressive the way that these cars really throw themselves uh, through the corners. Corner and corners, and again, also you get that very fast um, uh, right-hander after you go through start-finish into turn one at Abbey. Uh, very, very uh, impressive, and uh, just uh, a lot of fun to watch if you're a Formula One fan. So the the, the circuit itself is uh, 
3.891 kilometers or 3.66 miles in lengths. And uh, we have uh, a total uh, of uh, 52 laps or 306.198 kilometers or 190.263 miles. So uh, there you go. Uh, last uh, year, Lewis Hamilton uh, set the fastest lap of uh, 127.369 and uh, compare that to, to Bottas's pole time of 125.093. So uh, should be uh, one to look out for. And uh, do we dare uh, bet against uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, this weekend? I think not. I think it's going to be Lewis Hamilton winning, Valtteri Bottas coming home second, and Lando Norris. Let's let's put Lando up on the podium. I'm feeling it uh, this weekend for Lando. We'll uh, we'll talk again in a couple of days after we uh, do a post race uh, for this uh, uh, report for this uh, Grand Prix and see whether or not uh, my predictions uh, come true. And until then, that's a wrap. Thank you very much uh, for listening uh, to the show this week. If you want to get in touch, uh, please do so. Send me a tweet at scooteriaf1pod or email me at scooteriaf1pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Enjoy the British Grand Prix, and we'll be back in a couple of days to wrap it up and uh, talk all about it. Until then, take care, have fun, enjoy the Grand Prix. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.